something this morning, Revelation chapter 13. We've been studying this book for the last 75 weeks now, believe it or not, and we have, we have made it past halfway, hallelujah. Um, but we've got a long way to go, man, just a lot of heavy things. In fact, ever, ever since we hit chapter 11, we've kind of had to slow the pace down quite a bit because just so many, so many key things going on in chapter 11, chapter 12, 13, 14. Uh, boy, if there's an area where you're going to lose your neck in the book of Revelation, that's a real good place to do it. So we've been constantly just trying to slow down just, uh, just a little bit. Before we get into it, um, why don't we just take a second to ask the Lord to, to speak to our hearts today. Remember uh, last week we talked about the tendency that we have in our study in the book of Revelation is just to, to get into the nitty-gritty of all of this stuff and get all of the facts and fail to realize that what the Bible says in the book of Second Peter is that the whole thing of understanding the last days and understanding what time it is, it's to have an impact on our life. And so before we get down the road and start filling in our study sheet, let's, let's all be reminded of the fact that there is at least three things that God wants to do in all of us that know him this morning. That is, he wants this study to cause us to live a holy and godly life. He wants this to be used to catapult us outside of the four walls of this building, the people who have never heard, to seek to win them to Christ. And he wants to use this to cause us to grow spiritually, to come to the point that our sole desire in life is that we'll glorify the God in our life right now and have a passion in our heart for him to be glorified in the future. So with that in mind, let's, let's just come before the Lord and thank him for all of his goodness to us and in the midst of that, ask him to change us and conform us into his image this morning as we study his book. very, very grateful this morning for your goodness to us as we have just sung. We can look back over our entire lifetime and see how you have graciously brought us to the point of understanding who you are and to a relationship with you. And, and we, we, we see that and we thank you for your incredible goodness to us. The fact that we were able to walk into this room this morning is, is a testimony to your goodness. You've given us health. You've given us sound minds to be able to, to hear the Word of God proclaimed and to be able to assimilate it into our lives. And, and I pray this morning that you do just that, that this would be more than just uh, uh, an intellectual pursuit that we have this morning. I, I pray that in the midst of learning lots of truths, I pray that your purpose for these truths would be realized in our lives and that this might cause us to to face the sin in our life and to confess it and to cleanse it out of our life may it cause us to see this lost world that so desperately needs you and yet is so blinded by the enemy and i pray that today might cause us once again to to be shaken by your spirit to to do what you called us to do in these last days. And Lord, may we all grow today spiritually 
may these truths that we we learn cause us to understand more what time it is and may it cause us to have a an absolute passion in us to see you glorified on this planet and in our lives we ask in jesus name amen one of the things that uh you know, i've said numerous times through this this study is the fact and, and i know that everybody has their opinion about this but i'm just telling you in my book if there's an exciting time to be alive it's right now the, the thing that to me is just so exciting about this is the fact that we can go to the word of god and we can see what time we're actually living in the time that we are presently living in is a time that was prophesied very very clearly in the bible there's no doubt about what time it is we are living in what the bible defines and describes as the last days now because it is the last days we can go to the word of god and we can see all the things that it has to say about the last days and then we can just walk outside and we can just watch we can watch the, the television we can watch the events on there and we can just I, I mean it's when you really begin to get to the point to where you're understanding what the scripture says about the last days I mean it's almost a, a it's a mind-boggling experience just every single day of your life you know what I'm talking about I mean it, it's just it's just wild but because we know so specifically what time it actually is what makes this all so exciting is the fact that we have the ability now to be able to foretell the future you understand what i'm saying it's not because we're psychics it's not because we're mystics it's not because we're prophets or anything like that we have the ability to foretell the future because if we know we're living in the last days and we know what the bible says is the character of those days and we know what it says is going to happen next you know what all you got to do is just pick up your book and find out and you can just kind of foretell the future uh, i was uh you remember a few weeks ago when this thing was all real big with with president clinton sitting down with the you know the arabs and the jews over there and about the whole land thing uh, my wife and daughter were out of town justin and i were eating dinner watching the the nbc nightly news you know big fun thing like that and so this Israel deal is is on and so I'm kind of you know as they're getting ready to you know shoot to this thing I'm telling him and now you, you want to pick up on this deal this has got a, there's a lot of implications of the last days here and everything so we're watching this thing so they go through their you know a five-minute segment on covering this thing and when it's all all done he, he looks at me and he says so what's gonna happen and as soon as he it comes out of his mouth he goes whoa I'm asking you what's getting ready to happen you know like I'm a, a psychic or something and no psychic ability whatsoever just a matter of having a book and believing what you see in that book and buddy I'm just telling you man this is this is the exciting stuff if you if you let it just grab a hold of you and if you begin to use this book as is the way that you're discerning everything that's going on around you and now listen very very carefully especially some of you folks who are new to this church maybe you're a guest with us today L listen very carefully based on what this book says and, and i do want to just remind you of something that we save uh, an awful lot around here but based on what this book says and this book has never been wrong in the four thousand years that it has been in existence 
But based on what this book says about what time it is on this planet right now, we know this. We know that in the very, very near future, a force from outside of this world is going to enter into this Earth's atmosphere and is going to bodily remove off of the face of this planet millions and millions of people. In a split second's time, they're just going to totally vanish from sight. And as you might can imagine, it is going to cause the rest of the people who are remaining on this earth to be absolutely, totally freaked out. The entire world in just that quick is going to be totally gripped with panic and with fear. They won't know where their loved ones have gone. They won't know where their babies have gone. They won't know when or if this thing is going to happen again. Planes are falling out of the sky. Trains are being derailed. Cars and, and, and buses are, are crashing because their drivers just absolutely disappeared. Medical help is slow in coming, not just because of the great need, but you got to remember that some of the people who are doctors and nurses and hospital staff, a lot of those people will be removed as well. The stock market will immediately crash, and in just one split second, the entire economic situation of the world is going to be turned inside out and will never, ever be the same again. And I'm telling you, just that fast, the entire world is going to be plunged into utter and absolute chaos. Now, if you're newer to the Bible and you do not understand the event that I've just described, the event that we're talking about here is an event that we refer to as the rapture. It's defined, described for us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 17, also in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 and 52. And that force that I mentioned just a minute ago that is going to enter into the Earth's atmosphere and remove people from this planet is the most powerful force in the entire universe. That force is going to be God himself in the person of Jesus Christ. And the next thing, folks, the next thing that we're looking for to be taking place prophetically on this planet is that event when Jesus Christ steps out of the third heaven and comes in the clouds and with a shout and with a voice and with a trumpet, the Bible says, in the moment in the twinkling of an eye, what he is going to do is bodily remove off of the face of this planet every person who has entered into a personal relationship with God through him. That's the next thing that is going to be taking place on this planet. Now, folks, if you are left behind after that event, you will probably watch something on your television that is going to be something like this.
upon what the Bible says is going to happen. After all of this takes place and these people have bodily been removed from the face of this planet, all of a sudden, in the midst of all of the chaos and in the midst of all of the panic 
the anguish, the, the fear, and all of the tragedies, all of a sudden, a Christ appears on the scene. And the Jews will believe that he is the Messiah. The Muslims will believe that he's Islam's long-awaited Maitreya. The professing Christians who are left on this planet. And, and now listen very carefully. There will be over a billion people on this planet who are left behind who profess Christianity. The reason that they will be left behind is because they're in a religious system that goes by the name Christian, but the Christ that they follow is a Christ that 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 4 calls another Christ. It is not the Christ of this book. Now, when this event takes place, all of the possessing Christians, that is, all of those who possess a relationship with God the Father through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and possess His Spirit within them, all of the possessing Christians will be removed at that moment, but all professing Christians after that event will believe that this one who is going to come on the scene at that time is none other than Christ himself. And for all the atheists in the world, you know what? It's not going to matter to them who this so-called Christ is or who he professes to be. They'll follow him and they will submit to him as long as he can stabilize the economy. And if you don't believe that's true, the United States of America in the last nine or ten months is awesome proof that it really doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what you do, as long as I can go through life and I'm okay. And if you can stabilize this economy, I don't care who you are. And we'll submit and we'll follow you. And I'm just telling you, we, we learned a great lesson in the last several weeks, several months. And this is the one that John sees in Revelation chapter 13, verses 1 and 2, when he says, And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion, and the dragon, and of course, if you've been here for our study, we've already seen the dragon back in chapter 12. He's none other than Satan himself. And the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. You say, well, man, I'll tell you what, if the world's already going to be freaked out, you know, I mean, when all this stuff takes place, how in the world is someone who fits that description going to get the following of the world? Because I'm just telling you, at least from the way that I read this thing, whoever this creature is in verses 1 and 2, this, that's pretty freaky in itself. But you see, what you need to understand is that man does not see him like this. John is giving us here a description of this one from God's perspective, from God's vantage point. And listen, from God's vantage point, this one who is going to come on the scene immediately following the rapture, God sees him as a seven-headed, ten-horned 
diabolical beast. But again, that is not the way that man sees him because man would never follow a creature like that. Now, if you, if you want to know how man's going to see him when this beast comes on the scene and how it is that he actually rises to power and why it is that men from every nation in the world will be willing to embrace him and to follow him, turn back to Revelation chapter 6. That's a bad thing about study sheets. Y'all are already going there before I can even get it out of my mouth. You guys are psychics, aren't you? Revelation chapter 6. And understand that when the, the, the Antichrist comes on the scene, folks, he is not going to be a, a grotesque, villainous, dastardly, evil ogre like we sometimes imagine him to be. You know, I mean, we, we say the word Antichrist and everybody all of a sudden thinks of, you know, the cartoon Dick Dastardly. Yeah. You know, some kind of a, a, a wild you know, beast like that. And, and folks, listen, Satan is far too smart for that. And you remember 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14, that Satan has had for the last 6,000 years, he's had 6,000 years of practice of transforming himself into an angel of light. And buddy, after the rapture takes place, and the world is desperately looking for answers economically and uh, emotionally, spiritually, politically, government, governmentally, I mean, in every way, the one that man sees entering the scene is described here in Revelation chapter 6 and verse 2. John says, And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. Now, now listen. When the Antichrist comes on the scene, his rise to power won't be through armies. It won't be through threats. It won't be through domination, folks. It'll be through diplomacy. The one that verse 2 describes here in Revelation chapter 6, this guy is a smoothie, buddy. He comes on the scene posing as an emissary of peace. You'll notice in verse 2 that it says that he has a bow, but no arrows. And, and what we understand is that by means of a plan for arms control, this one will achieve world peace and economic stability. And in the eyes of everyone, I mean, just like in the movies, he'll be the hero who's going to ride into town on a white horse to save the day in just the nick of time and the world at first will admire him they will revere him they will follow him and within three and a half years they'll come to the place to where they have actually deified him and will literally worship him and you see by then they'll be so de deceived and they'll be so enthralled by him that he can and will carry out any atrocity that he wants to carry out upon mankind. You say, I'll just tell you, this just sounds too bizarre in a world like ours for you know, people to fall for something like that. Well, just, just listen to this, this quote. See if you can identify this. The streets of our country are in turmoil. The universities are filled with students rebelling and rioting. 
communists are seeking to destroy our country and the republic is in danger, yes, danger from within and without, we need law and order. Without law and order, our nation cannot survive. You know when that statement was made? And I know some of you, oh, probably 1968 or so. You know when it was made? It was made in 1932. And you know who made the statement? A man by the name of Adolf Hitler. That's the way that he came to power, folks. And you see, now it, it's easy for the Germans to look back and, and to, to see, you know, what, what an evil man he, he was. But buddy, at the time that all of this was going on, everybody in Germany was duped. And the reason that they were duped is they desperately needed help in their country. They needed answers. They needed hope. They needed somebody to give solutions to the, the terrible problems that were facing that, that country. William Shire wrote from Germany in 1934, listen to this, a newly arrived observer was somewhat surprised to see that the people of this country did not seem to feel that they were being cowed and held down by an unscrupulous and brutal dictatorship. On the contrary, they supported it with genuine enthusiasm. Somehow it imbued them with a new hope. And, and folks, listen, once the rapture has taken place on this planet, coupled with what is right now an already unsettled economic situation and a growing crisis in the Middle East, listen, once the rapture takes place, this world is going to desperately need someone to provide answers and somebody that can give hope. And just like the, the preview of Hitler provides for us, they'll embrace this world is going to embrace a seven-headed, ten-horned, diabolical beast. And the reason they'll embrace him is because they will see him as a knight in shining armor, riding on a white horse with peaceful solutions to all of the world's problems. Folks, this one who is going to come on the scene immediately after the rapture that John sees here in Revelation chapter 13 and verse 1, he will be an absolute genius. And listen, genius really does not even fully describe it because you've got to understand he is being empowered by one who has had at least 6,000 years of studying mankind and knows man far better than anybody in this room and all of us Put together but first of all the Bible says that he will be an intellectual genius an intellectual genius Daniel chapter 8 and verse 23 says that he will be a king listen to this now he will be a king who understands dark sentences and listen there will be many dark sentences as soon as the people on this planet have been removed and the world is thrust into that utter chaos and he is going to be able to provide answers to the difficult questions that the world is going to be facing at that time. Intellectually, he will be an absolute genius. He will woo and wow the world. But not only will he be an intellectual genius, he'll also be an oratorical genius. An oratorical genius. Daniel chapter 11, verse 36, says that he shall speak marvelous things. 
Daniel chapter 7, verse 20 says that he has a mouth that speaks very great things. Right here in Revelation 13, 5, it says the very same thing. He'll speak great things out of his mouth. Daniel 7, 25 says he shall speak great words. Daniel 8, 24 says that he shall destroy, listen to this, wonderfully. He shall destroy wonderfully. He'll be so oratorically slick, so absolutely captivating as a speaker, that while he's in the very midst of destroying and conquering mankind, they'll listen to him and think that he is the, the most wonderful human being that has ever graced this planet. And, and you know what, really, this, this whole thing of being an oratorical genius, it really doesn't come as any surprise to me, because I, I'll just tell you, you look around, some of the greatest orators of our time are false teachers, are they not? I'm just telling you, I, I cruise through the TV and I watch these guys and I'm just telling you, man, I don't know why y'all come in here and listen to us because these guys, man, they rock the world, man. I mean, they are just in, in absolutely incredible people who are false teachers on this planet right now. And they're being fueled by a spirit. It's just not the one that the Bible refers to as the Holy Spirit. Now, every once in a while, the, the devil will do something, you know, just for kicks. He's got to do something different, and he'll give somebody absolutely no ability whatsoever to speak, and he'll wow the world. You know, like Benny Hinn. I mean, I'm just telling you. I listen to this dude, and I, I am like, I cannot believe that somebody listens to him for more than 30 seconds. I feel like I'm four years old, you know. Now, write this down. This is very profound, you know, and, and I'm like, okay, this is going to be big. And I mean, it, it goes absolutely nowhere, you know. The dude can't even read his own text. Read, Jimmy. You, you seen that deal? He doesn't even read the Bible. Somebody reads it for him and he interrupts him as he's going through. It, it's just, but but oh, the point is, when the Antichrist comes on the scene, buddy, this guy is going to have the ability persuade a group of people like you have never seen in your life and I hope you don't see it but not, not only that he will be a commercial genius a commercial genius Daniel chapter 11 verse 43 says but he shall have power over the treasures of gold and of silver and Revelation chapter 13, verses 16 and 17, you're, you're right there, why don't you look at it? Revelation 13, verses 16 and 17 tells you how he has the power over the gold and the silver of this world at that time. Verse 16 says that he will cause all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive, and you know what, Just this is, this is free here, but you know what, you can see already that the civil rights movement and all of that stuff, it's not going to get any better. Because during the tribulation period, you got the, the small and the great, the rich and the poor, the free and bond, and he's going to cause all of them to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save that he had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name, which verse 18, of course, lets you know is the infamous six. Six, six. So check this out. He devises an ingenious plan through which 
anything in the world that happens commercially, anything that has to do with buying and selling, it has to come through him. You have to have his mark, the mark of the beast, the Antichrist. But not only will he be a commercial genius, he will also be a military genius. And this is what we were talking about just a second ago from Revelation chapter 6 and verse 2. He goes forth conquering the world, and yet he does it without threatening the world with his weaponry or with his power. He does so, conquers the world without ever firing a shot. He conquers the world, and by the time he has, the world doesn't even realize that it's been conquered. They'll think, isn't this great? He will be an absolute genius, folks, a military genius. But not only will he be an intellectual and oratorical and political and commercial and military genius, the scariest thing of all is he is going to be a religious genius. A religious genius. Now listen, Satan knows what buttons to push religiously to dupe people right past the teaching of this book. Now, did you hear what I just said? All right, okay, now listen. The devil knows what buttons to push to get people to go right past the very clear teaching of this book. And if you think that what the Antichrist is going to do is going to be some wow thing, you need to understand it's already happening right now. It started, and the devil's been practicing on for this one that's going to be coming here in the next several years. He's been practicing since 1906. It all got started in Topeka, Kansas. And somebody had a miraculous experience back in 1906, and it absolutely, from there, it went to the West Coast, to the Azusa Street Mission, and has worked its way back and forth for the last almost 100 years. And, and, and listen, what the devil has found out is that the world is an absolute sucker for miracles and for signs and for wonders. And because he knows that's what floats people's boat. Let me just tell you, through the Antichrist, he is going to give this world at that time exactly what they want and, oh buddy, a whole lot more than what they want. I mean, it's going to be absolutely incredible. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 9. In fact, why don't you just we come back, hold, put something in Revelation 13. Why don't you just go back here so that I don't tick you off too bad. So you can at least see that this is what the Bible says and not my two-bit opinion. <clears throat> 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 says that the Antichrist coming, and this is the, the subject of Second Thessalonians 2, what it says is that the Antichrist coming is after the working of Satan with all power. And something interesting is that word power there is many times in your King James Version of the Bible translated miracles. His coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. And listen, they're lying wonders, not because they didn't really happen. Listen, they're lying wonders because Satan wants you to think that their source is God so that he can dupe you 
in the name of God. The wonders, they really happen. It's just he's lying about the source of those wonders. And you see, that's exactly why in these last days, just before the Antichrist is revealed on this planet, to be quite honest with you, and I'm not trying to be a smart aleck this morning, but to be quite honest about it, this is why we don't get too excited about all of the miracles and signs and wonders that are going on all over this planet in the name of Jesus. Quite honestly, we've got all the miracles and the signs and wonders we'll ever need right here in this book, and we know what time it is. I mean, we know we're living in the last days, and we know the Antichrist is just around the corner, and we know that he's going to use miracles and signs and wonders. And, and now listen, we, we know that God is God, and we believe that God can jolly well heal anybody that he wants to heal at any time. We just know that the time that we're living in right now is not a time biblically of miracles and signs and wonders. And when people stand up in these last days and they say that they've experienced something that God says isn't intended for this age, we don't think that they're lying when they say, I spoke in tongues. We don't think that they're lying when they say, I was slain in the Spirit. We just believe that to say that the source of that experience is the Holy Spirit, we just believe that's a lie. It's a lying wonder that has taken place. And buddy, when Satan does his thing on this planet through the Antichrist, you can bet that he is going to pull together every religious shenanigan that he has ever found that man would be a sucker for in the last 6,000 years, and every one of them will all be compiled into this religious genius that is called the Antichrist, and he will exercise those things. He will be a religious genius. And as you can imagine, when you put all of this together, he will arrest the attention and the uh, affection of the entire world. And, and I don't know if you've ever really stopped to think about this or not, but folks, do, do you realize, and you can go back to Revelation 13, but do you realize that this person that we're talking about there is no other person in the entire Bible that gets as much billing as he gets other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I mean, listen, I know that most of us don't know a whole lot about this beast that we're talking about that arises out of the sea. I just want you to know, this book has more to say about him than any other individual other than the Lord Jesus Christ, and to be quite honest about it, they're neck and neck. It's there. In, in fact, do you realize that this one that we're talking about here in Revelation 13 that John refers to as the beast, did you know that he is found in Scripture under at least 30 different names and titles? Now let's move together here, y'all. Brace yourself. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 3, he's called that man of sin. Psalm 10, verse 18, calls him the man of the earth. Psalm 52, verse 1, calls him the mighty man. Psalm 140, in verse 1, calls him the evil man. And in that same verse, Psalm 40, in verse 1, he's called the violent man. Psalm 5, 
6 calls him the bloody and deceitful man. Isaiah 25, verse 5, calls him the branch of the terrible ones. In Psalm 10, 2, he's called the wicked one. Jeremiah 30, verse 14, calls him the cruel one. Isaiah 29, verse 19, he's called the terrible one. In John 5, verse 43, he's called the one who should come in his own name. Daniel 11:21 calls him a vile person. Psalm 74:10 calls him the adversary. In Psalm 55:3, the enemy. In Isaiah 16:4, the spoiler. In Jeremiah chapter 4 verse 6 calls him the destroyer of the Gentiles. Psalm 110 verse 6 refers to him as the head over many countries. In Ezekiel 21, verse 25, he's called the profane, wicked prince of Israel. Daniel 9, 26 calls him the prince that shall come. Daniel 11:36 calls him the willful king. Daniel 8, 23 calls him a king of fierce countenance. Isaiah 14.4, he's called the king of Babylon. Isaiah 10.5 calls him the Assyrian. In Daniel 7, verse 8, he's called the little horn. 2 Thessalonians 2.3 refers to him as the son of perdition. Zechariah 11.17 calls him the idol, I-D-O-L, shepherd, the idol shepherd. Revelation 9:11 calls him the angel of the bottomless pit. Again in Revelation 9:11 he's called Abaddon, and in that same verse Apollyon. And as far as our culture is concerned, his most popular name or title is what he's called in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 22. He's called the Antichrist. And I want to spend just a, a second making sure that, that we understand that, that term, antichrist, because there, there's actually two meanings to the, the prefix anti or, or anti. The one that we're most familiar with, of course, is that it means opposed to or against. Opposed to or against. But the prefix anti can also mean in the place of or a substitute for in the place of or a substitute for. And when you look at the beast biblically, folks, this one that we call the Antichrist, what becomes very apparent is though that he will come to this planet and he will definitely oppose Christ and he will definitely be against all that Christ is and is doing, the Antichrist is actually going to come to this planet and in the most diabolically clever way possible, his opposition of Christ will be carried out by actually pretending to be Christ. Do you understand that? The Lord uh, Jesus Christ walked the face of this planet. He came on the scene, meek and lowly as the spotless Lamb of God. And when the angel of light is wanting to dupe this world, he's going to look a whole lot like Christ did when he came to this planet the first time. 
he, he's been saving up for this one, and he's going to come, and he is going to just simply mimic what he's already seen Christ do when he came at his first coming. And I want to show you something that I think that if you can understand right from the get-go as we're approaching chapter 13 and, and trying to understand the Antichrist, the, the beast, I want to show you something this morning that I, I think if you can put all of these things in its place, it's going to help you immensely when we turn the corner and start working our way expositionally through chapter 13. But I'd like for you to go over to Revelation chapter 17 for a minute. Because in John, uh, Revelation chapter 17, John is still talking about the beast. And I want you to see what, what he tells you about him down in, down in verse 8. Look, look at what he says. The, the beast that thou sawest was and is not. You got that? That's a, that's a biggie there, isn't it? I mean, what, what, what in the world is, is it? The beast that thou sawest was and is not. Now, if you're really going to get the full understanding of what, what that means there, you've got to remember that in Isaiah chapter 14, that Lucifer, as he was called in eternity past, had a desire. And that desire was to be like the what? I love y'all. You're good. He's like the Most High. And, of course, because of, of that iniquity, that, that very iniquity we're talking about, the pride of saying, I will be like the Most High, according to Ezekiel 28, 15, he loses his position as the anointed cherub that covereth. He, he loses the throne that he had. And, and we, we've covered all of this in, in, in great detail. If this is new truth for you, I'm sorry, we don't have time to go back and, and, and cover this uh, again. But he loses his position. He loses his throne. But one thing he didn't lose was his desire to be like the Most High God. That's the one thing, folks, that has remained constant all down through the centuries. Now, because that's an impossibility, what he has done, what he is doing, and what he will continue to do is the only thing that he can do. And that is counterfeit God. Now, was that whole thing on the, the other side of that paper right there? Okay, I better say that again, okay? Okay. <laughs> I'm trying to get you to see. He lost a lot of stuff when iniquity was found in him. One thing he didn't lose was his desire to be like the Most High God. And because that is an impossibility, what he has done, what he is doing... And what he will continue to do is the only thing that he can do, and that is counterfeit God. And let me show you what I mean. Our God, Jehovah God, our God is what we call a triune being. A triune being. That is, that God is manifested in three persons. And of course, we know this, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. Now, there's certainly some, some other characteristics of what the Most High God is, is all about. But one thing for sure is that if you are going to be like the Most High God, then you would have to be manifest as a triune being yourself. You would have to be manifest as three persons, right? So what do you think Satan has done? Well, just like there is a Holy Trinity... 
There is also an unholy trinity or a satanic trinity and it is made up of the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. And not only are there three, but they are each a counterfeit of the three persons of the Godhead. For example, the first person of the satanic trinity is the dragon. And he is the counterfeit of the true God, of God the Father. The dragon is the head of the satanic system. Now, we've just covered Revelation chapter 12, and, and look back at chapter 12 and verse 7. It says, And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And drop down to verse 9. And the great dragon was cast out. And, and who is he? It says it right there. That old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. And here is what is so key. The dragon stands in relationship to the beast in the same way that God the Father stands in relationship to Jesus Christ, the Son. Now, you got that? And just as John chapter 6 and verse 57 says that God sent His Son into the world, the dragon will send His Son into the world. John 17, 12 calls Him the Son of Perdition. Just as God the Father has given all authority to Jesus Christ, His Son, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And in the same way now, the dragon will give His power and authority to the beast, His Son. Look at Revelation chapter 13. In verse 2, you, you see it, it's talking about the beast and describing him. And look at the last part of the verse. And the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. So now get it. The, the first person of the satanic trinity is the anti-God. The counterfeit of God the Father. And he is Satan himself or the dragon. Right, now, the second person of the Satanic Trinity is the beast. And as I alluded to just a, a few minutes ago, he, of course, is the counterfeit son, the anti-son or the anti-Christ, because he is the counterfeit of Christ, the son, in the unholy Trinity. And you can, listen, you can just go through the Scripture and you can just look at Christ and see what is said about him. And if you want to get an in-your-face exact opposite of who he was, just start looking at what it says about the Antichrist. In John chapter 6, in verse 38, it says that Christ came down from heaven. Revelation chapter 11 and verse 7 says that the Antichrist will ascend out of the bottomless pit. The first part of John chapter 5, verse 43, says that Christ came in his Father's name, and the world rejected him. And the second part of the verse says, the Antichrist will come in his own name, and the world will receive him. Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, says that Christ humbled himself and became obedient unto death, 
Even the death of the cross, 2 Thessalonians 2.4 says that the Antichrist will exalt himself and demand that the people worship him. John 14.6 says that Christ is the truth. 2 Thessalonians 2.11 says that the Antichrist is the lie. Mark 1.24 says Christ is the Holy One. 2 Thessalonians 2.8 says that the Antichrist is the Wicked One. 1 Timothy 3.16 says that Christ is the mystery of godliness. God manifest in the flesh. 2 Thessalonians 2.7 says that the Antichrist will be the mystery of iniquity. Satan manifested in the flesh. John chapter 6 verse 38 says that Christ came into the world to do the will of God. Daniel 11:36 says that the antichrist shall do according to his own will. Isaiah 53:3 says that Christ was despised and rejected of men. Revelation 13 verses 3 and 4 and verses 14 and 15 says that the antichrist will be admired and men will build a great image in his honor in Luke 19 verse 10 it says that Christ came to save Daniel chapter 8 verse 24 says Antichrist comes to destroy but this is the best part Christ obeyed God the Father in all things he finished the work that the Father had given him to do. John chapter 17 and verse 4 and Philippians chapter 2 and verse 9 says that God has now exalted him and given him a name that is above every name. And Isaiah 14 verses 14 and 15 says that the Antichrist will exalt himself but he will be cast down to hell. He is the counterfeit. And, and listen, all of the hate that Satan has harbored all through time and eternity for Jesus Christ, he is going to unleash in order to blaspheme him in the tribulation. That's why in Revelation chapter 13, in verse 1, it talks about, and upon his heads were the name of blasphemy. Over in chapter 17 of Revelation, in verse 3, it says that the beast is full of names of blasphemy. But you see, the point that I'm wanting to get you to see here is that when the Antichrist shows up, he will set up his kingdom by counterfeiting the Trinity. That's why here in, in Revelation chapter 13 and, and verse 18, it says that the number of the beast or the Antichrist is the number of man. What's the number of man? It's six. But it says his number is six, six, six. And the reason for it is because of the counterfeit of God in the flesh in the satanic trinity he manifests himself in three persons through this man six 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 so the first person of the satanic trinity is the dragon the he's the anti-god the anti-father if you will the second person is the beast the anti-son or the anti-christ and then the third person of the satanic trinity is the beast here in Revelation chapter 13 and verse 11, look at the verse, it says, And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth. Now the first beast back in chapter 1, 
he said he, 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 he saw him rise up out of the sea. This one comes up out of the earth. And this beast is the one that is known as the false prophet. And he, of course, is the counterfeit of the Holy Spirit. And just as the Holy Spirit came into the world to glorify Christ, John chapter 16, verse 14 says that the Holy Spirit, Jesus said this, He shall glorify me. And in the same way, the false prophet will magnify the Antichrist. Look at Revelation 13, verse 12. It says, And he, okay, now that's the false prophet that we're talking about, and he exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him, that's the Antichrist, and he causeth the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast. And look at the middle of verse 14. He says, To them that dwell on the earth, that they should make an image to the beast. And you see, he takes the, the same role in the satanic trinity that the Holy Spirit of God does in the Holy Trinity. He takes on the role, he takes on the ministry of glorifying the Son. So Satan's desire to be like the Most High God is finally going to be made manifest in a counterfeit trinity. And folks, you can bet, and we've, we've seen this over and over already this morning, you can bet that it is going to be extremely powerful. But I want to remind you of something. Only the Holy Trinity is all-powerful. And that's why it says, go over to Revelation chapter 19 and verse 20. And I'll let your heart receive this in light of everything that we've seen this morning. Revelation chapter 19 and verse 20. Oh, and I love this. And the beast was taken, and with him... The false prophet, okay, you got it? You got the Antichrist, you got the Anti-Spirit. The beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. Oh, buddy, they, yeah, they're going to be very, very, very powerful. So powerful, I can't even describe it to you, but they do not possess all power. God, one of these days, is going to have it to hear, and he says, hey, it's time. And he is going to cast them alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And look over at chapter 20 and verse 10. And the devil that deceived them... See, that, that's the dragon, y'all. That's the anti-father. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Amen. It's coming down, y'all. And what is so sad. Now, now listen and don't pack up. What is so sad. Is that not only will the dragon and the beast and the false prophet be cast there? Let, let's continue on. Verse 11. And I saw a great white throne. 
the hand that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Now, now listen very carefully. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now again, don't pack up. There are some of you folks that are in this room this morning. Your destiny is the same as that of the dragon and of the beast and of the false prophet. As of this point, all of that can change today. All of that can change in the next couple of minutes. All that's necessary is for you to come to the place to where you will say, I know I'm a sinner. And I need you, God, to be merciful to me. I don't trust myself. I trust what you did through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I receive him as my payment in full for my sin. And the moment that you call upon the name of the Lord, folks, you know what happens to you? Your eternal destiny is absolutely flip-flopped. And when that trumpet sounds, and that voice is heard, and the Lord Jesus Christ comes in the clouds, and he removes off of the face of this planet everybody that knows God, if you'll be saved today, you don't have anything to worry about with the events that are getting ready to take place on this planet. But today, if you'll hear his voice, harden not your heart and be prepared for what's getting ready to take place on this planet. And start getting excited with all the rest of us about what God reveals is going to take place in the very, very near future. Let's bow our heads together. We'll pick up the last little things at the end of the service tonight. But there are people in this room right now that God is speaking to, not because I'm a great orator. God's speaking to you because His book has gone forth. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit will take the truth of that book and He'll use it to convince the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And there are some of you right now that know beyond any shadow of a doubt, right now in your spirit, you know that you're a sinner. You know that you have fallen far short of the righteous standard that God has, has, has given to us. And you fear the judgment that is to come. You know what's happening to you? Exactly what the Bible says. The Spirit of God is convincing you of those things. And the reason He is doing that is that is the means that our Father in Heaven draws people to Himself. And if God is in the midst of drawing you today, 
evidenced by the fact that you are convicted in your spirit of your sin, of his righteousness, and of the judgment that is to come on this planet. The Bible says today, if you'll hear his voice, harden not your heart. And I want to beg you today, for your sake, don't, don't harden your heart. If God is in the midst of doing that today. And, and now if he is, let me explain to you what you need to do. In just a second, our service is going to be dismissed. People are going to stand. People are going to shake hands. It's going to get a little bit noisy. But in the midst of all that's going on, our pastors are going to be up at the front of this room. And if you'll just come and say, you know what, God is, is doing something in me today. These men will have somebody that will take a Bible, and they'll sit down with you and take you to the Bible. They won't take you to Baptist doctrine. They won't take you to first Baptist statement of faith. They're going to take you to the Bible and show you from the Bible exactly what you must do today in order to receive the gift of eternal life that was promised to this world by God through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we want to give you that opportunity today. And again, I, I, I beg you, if God is speaking to you, don't, don't, don't turn your shoulder away from what He's trying to do in your life today. And now, Lord, I pray that you would do the work that only you can do right now. I pray that you would save lost people that are in this room. I pray you'd help them to get over the, the, the fear of talking to someone that they don't know, of embarrassment or, or whatever would hinder somebody from allowing you to do the greatest miracle in their life. We pray that you change the eternal destiny of people in this room this morning. And Lord, for those of us that do know you, once again, I pray that you take these truths to impact our lives so that we will live out who we are in these last days and accomplish the mission that you've left for us. In Jesus' name, amen.